On this episode, analysis paralysis. What to pay attention to and what to avoid. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Welcome back to the podcast, going through the 10 universal principles to overcome any running injury, which is found in my ebook. Last episode, we talked about um, paying attention to the 24-hour response um, and just symptoms during your run, immediately after your run, and the next day, the importance of all of those, because it can often be misinterpreted and mislead you to continue to run, which is actually making things worse. So if you haven't, go back. If you haven't listened to any of them, go back to episode one and uh, work your way through the 10 principles. This week we have analysis paralysis. And let's start this episode just diving straight in to see what Pete's up to. So Pete has slowly been exceeding his load capacity with his Achilles and ever so slowly just getting worse and worse symptoms, especially in the morning when he first wakes up. Um, So let's pop up my ebook and so I can read through the chapter. Here we go. Symptoms were starting to affect Pete's running and he became concerned. The 10k race was in three weeks and he was desperate. He'd never been to a physio before so Pete decided to jump onto the internet to find answers. He found resources relating to stretching, supportive shoes, barefoot shoes, changing his running technique, changing his foot strike, heat, ice, anti-inflammation medication, pain-relieving creams, and even a Chinese slap therapy. This left injury-prone Pete with more questions than answers. He did, however, come across a running physiotherapist throughout his search, so he immediately booked in for an appointment. So now just breaking down the lesson in the ebook. Um, so it says, Some of the tips listed above will work well for some. Probably not the slapping one. Most of us, for most of us, we fall victim to misguided fads, advertising ploys, and cherry-picked science. It can be very overwhelming for a novice runner to find an effective long-term solution to their problem. Studies have shown that between 50 and 80% of runners will be injured within any given year. And this is regardless of experience, regardless of shoe type, your strike pattern, weekly mileage or flexibility. I do believe that certain runners who experience certain types of running injuries will benefit from changing foot strike and running technique, but this will offload an injured structure and shift to increase load somewhere else in the body. Uncovering what is most effective for an individual runner takes years of experience as a therapist. So how is a novice runner meant to find a solution? Well, you can rest easy when I say that the above lessons, along with the guidance throughout the rest of the book, tailors for everyone. If you fully comprehend these principles, 
your injury prevention and recovery process will far surpass your peers. So that's the chapter in the book. This might be um, shocking for you guys. This might be obvious for some of you. But all these points that I've made in the ebook, all the stretching, shoe type, running technique, all that sort of stuff, foot strike, um, all of these things when it comes to evidence and science don't really back up when it comes to injury prevention. Take um, stretching, for example. I know I've wrote a few blogs in the past about this. Um, There's no science or evidence to show that stretching helps recovery, prevents injury, helps performance. Um, helps your muscle soreness the next day, like your DOMS muscle soreness. Stretching hasn't been shown to provide any of that. And attending attending some running courses um, with people who are very well-rounded in this research all tend to agree that stretching, especially static stretching, which is your stretch and hold stretches, do nothing for you. There are a very small percentage of the population who are extremely stiff and extremely tight and that can affect their running biomechanics, say like your hip extension when you're running. Um, But this is a very small population. They might benefit from some stretch and holds before they run to improve their biomechanics, but it doesn't affect or doesn't apply to the majority of us. So when I talk about stretching in the ebook, I'm more referring to that static stretch. So straightening out one leg, bending forward and holding while you feel a tightness in your hamstrings and your calves, that type of stretch. Dynamic stretching can be quite helpful, which is jogging with high knees or doing your butt flicks, trying to get your ankle to your bum. Those sort of stretches, even like leg swings, they can be quite effective just to prepare the body and warm up the body to start running but no matter all the evidence and all the blogs that are out there I still get runners into my clinic saying oh I know I probably should stretch more I know I'm injured all the time I probably should stretch more so this might actually be relieving for you guys to know that you don't have to sit there and do some stretches before and after you go for a run me personally I like to do a five second Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Stretch of my hamstrings, calves, quads, hip flexors, all that sort of stuff before I go for a run especially if I've just woken up, got out of bed and feeling a little bit stiff when I first wake up, I find that of benefit. But when it comes to my warm-up strategy, it's mainly going into a slow jog and then whatever pace I have planned for that day, slowly easing into that. And if I have a hard session or a fast session to do, I make sure that I jog and I warm up properly before getting into more quicker, explosive sort of stuff. There is a little bit of evidence to show that stretching, static stretching of your calves actually reduces your performance and could increase your risk of injury. And this is because your calf and your Achilles muscle, they need to be an effective spring when you land and when you take off. So as you contact the ground, the 
properties within your muscle need to contract and release to act as a spring to bound you into the next step. And if you have a long, drawn-out, lengthened spring, it's going to become less effective. And so make sure you're not overdoing your calf stretches. It can be a bit of a trap because we have a lot of runners who, when they run, their calves aren't strong enough and um, can get sore and have a perception of it feeling tight. Like when I first started running, my calves felt like they were bricks. They just felt so sore and so tight that I needed to keep stretching them. It's not actually because they're tight. It's because they're sore because you've overworked them and they're just getting used to the load that you're putting them through, which is just a normal response for any muscle. So don't be misled. Um, I could talk all about, I could talk all day about shoe types and orthotics and how much support your shoe should have. There's no evidence to show whether you use a supportive maximalist shoe or whether you use a barefoot minimalist shoe, you're any more likely to sustain an injury. There are camps of people who are barefoot advocates and people who are supportive shoe advocates. Definitely, if you are used to a supportive shoe and you transition to a barefoot shoe or a minimalist shoe too quickly, that will increase your likelihood of injury. That's what the evidence shows. It's just the muscles need to work harder and you're transitioning to something that requires the muscles to work so hard. If they're not strong enough to manage that, you will sustain a soft tissue injury. So a lot of those um, supportive maximalist shoe advocates will say you, if you go to barefoot shoes, you'll get injured. There is a likelihood of injury during that transition if it's too quick. But if you're feet, calves, the rest of the body are strong enough to tolerate it, then um, your likelihood of injury is no different from those wearing supportive shoes. This is the same thing for foot strike. 80% of the people out there are heel strikers, which is when you first make contact with the ground. As a runner goes from step to step, how your foot makes contact with the ground will determine whether you are a heel striker whether you contact with a, a flat foot and being a bit of a midfoot striker, or if you're closer to impacting towards the toes, which makes you a forefoot striker. Now, 80% of the people out there are heel strikers, and that's the best marathoners in the world compared to as well as any recreational runner. The sprinters, if you're doing like a 100-meter, 200-meter, 400-meter sprint, they will almost always be on their toes. But when we're talking about longer distances... We're referring to, say, um, a 5K, anywhere from a 5K to an ultra. The majority will be heel strikers. I do get a lot of people come in, say they're reading blogs and they're on Google and a lot of people are trying to transition them into a four-foot strike, saying that it improves performance and will reduce likelihood of injury. All these topics are... I could go on for days or have an entire podcast episode dedicated to them, but I just want to try and summarize and provide some clarity. There is evidence out there if you do transition to more of a midfoot strike, then your technique can become slightly more efficient. However, it won't reduce your risk of injury. All it is is shifting your load throughout the body. 
What does matter is how far in front of your body your foot contacts. And this applies to uh, breaking force through the body. So you want to try and contact your foot when it first touches the ground closer to your body, if anything underneath your body, so that you're more moving forward rather than having the foot out in front, creating a slight breaking force and your momentum has to carry over that forward foot. But if it contacts closer to the ground, it doesn't matter whether you're contacting with your heel, the middle of your foot or your forefoot. Those who do read those blogs and try and make a transition into a forefoot strike will put an increased load through the Achilles, through the calf and through the foot muscle. And if those structures aren't strong enough to tolerate those loads, you will get sore, you will get injured. I did have a runner come in last week who suffered a calf strain and we were trying to go through his past training lows to see if it fits the pattern of anything that he's done. And he said, no, I've stayed on the treadmill. I've stayed at the same pace. I've just slowly been increasing my distances following the couch to 5k app. Hasn't changed his shoes or anything like this. And um, it wasn't sort of fitting the pattern until closer to the end of the um, subjective assessment. He said, oh, by the way, I read a blog that said that I need to transition to the front of my foot. And it was about two or three runs in that he started noticing his calf strain. And so that made a whole lot more sense because as soon as you transition to the front of your foot, your calf needs to act more as a spring. And he just needed to either transition a bit slower or increase the strength of his calves before making that transition just so the load that's applied is tolerated well by the calf, the Achilles and the foot. What do I have to say about ice and heat? Um, ice is a tricky one. There's almost, there's new emerging evidence that ice doesn't really do anything and that you should allow your body to undergo the natural healing process of having healing mediators to the area to increase the swelling so that the body can go through its normal motions in healing until it recovers and you're good to go again once that whole process is completed. Anecdotally, I'm not too sure how I feel about that. Um, seeing my clients, especially like acute ankle sprains, ice works really well, especially um, I have a remedy of um, putting your foot in an ice bucket, like one quarter ice, three quarters water, and just doing a series of exercises for about 15 minutes. Um accelerates the healing time by you know tenfold it's really really effective um but this new emerging evidence that ice doesn't really do much for you i think it's a try for yourself and see how it goes ice isn't going to do any worse unless you apply ice packs incorrectly and start getting ice burn um similar with heat um i'm not too sure how i feel about heat rubs and um deep heat those sort of things if it makes you feel better Go for it. It's not going to do any worse. Anti-inflammation medication, on the other hand, should be taken very cautiously. Um, if you have an overloaded injury or a soft tissue injury from running, anti-inflammation medication can be detrimental for you. Um, not only is it bad for you internally if you take it long-term, but anti-inflammation properties and steroid properties can 
reduce the capacity of the tissues within the body. So it can impact the tendons and ligaments and actually make them weaker. So be very careful with the use of them. Um, if you do have a an injury where there is a lot of inflammation, only just take them for two to three days maximum. So if this leaves you misguided, like I say, a lot of people go into Google to find answers. There's always people with um, hidden agendas or extreme like biases towards certain things. Like I said, people are either in the supportive maximalist shoe camp or the minimalist shoe camp, those sort of things. They're always going to try and find evidence and suggestions to suit their own narrative. So what are you supposed to pay attention to? What can you do? What's going to be effective? What are the answers? This is one of the major reasons why I've started this podcast to try and give you some clarity and some guidance hopefully sound, structured, evidence-based. Evidence changes year every year, so um, I'm just trying to stay as up-to-date as I can and trying to be as unbiased as I can. Um, if you are suggested something, some sort of remedy, or if you believe in a certain remedy, by all means, use it. Um, try it out. Determine if it's actually working. Uh, just take a scientific approach. So I am quite anti-long-term use of orthotics. I think orthotics can be very good to use in the short term appropriately. Um, I'm not a fan of using them as a long-term solution or a lifetime solution. But I've also known clients that that approach has worked really well for some people. And um, who am I to question or challenge their beliefs if it makes them feel a lot better? So I challenge you to at least ask the question if what you're doing is working. If it isn't working, come in with a bit more of an open mind and a bit more of a scientific hat and make a change. Like the client I had with the calf strain I just illustrated before, um, he went in search of answers, found that if he transitioned to a forefoot, that might help his running, might reduce his risk of injury, might increase his performance. This is what he was told when he did this research. And he now has a calf strain because he's transitioned too quickly. And so he would put on his scientific hat, okay, I might need some more guidance. Maybe this isn't for me right now. Um, perhaps I try a different approach or perhaps I just be a lot, a bit more patient. So it's just taking a step back, um, taking emotion out of it, taking beliefs and biases out of it, and then just making a sound decision. As the podcast goes on, I'm going to try my hardest to um, put aside my own convictions and minimize this uh, confirmation bias at, by listening to like the world's best researchers and all different types of fields like I have in mind to interview researchers and review running books from industry leaders and try and uncover any gaps in knowledge I might have. I don't claim to know everything. Um, not only do I not claim to know everything, but the information I'm delivered from these sound researchers is forever changing. And so this is why the podcast is so good. It's going to be, uh, new episodes continuously coming out with updated research and updated um, opinions from the leading researchers. And 
I'm really excited to bring that to you guys. I'm also trying to go outside the scope of physio because I'm quite proficient in seeing runners as a physiotherapist, but in regards to increasing performance or changing your mindset or even just like looking into things like gut health that affect injuries and affect performance um, isn't my expertise. So trying to get those experts onto the podcast will not only help you, but also help increase my knowledge as well. So I'll have some um, alerts or red flags if someone wants to come onto the podcast to pitch their own hidden agendas. Um, I'm going to make sure that the people that do come on understand the latest research, have an unbiased viewpoint and don't have that hidden agenda. So I'm really excited to learn myself and educate you guys in the process. Based on the topic today, I knew this episode would be a bit of a rant, which it was, went a little bit longer than I anticipated, but hopefully got the message across. I look forward to bringing you next episode where we talk about cadence and let's finish up there. So uh, bye for now. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.